Oh God, one day we will, we will shout out those words to you. We can't quite figure out this life. Why do people suffer long? What's up with that? We don't know. But somehow, that confession is a declaration that, in, that no matter what happens, your love triumphs. Your mercy reigns. And we will bow at your feet with our mothers. And we will cry out, how great is our God. Thank you. Now, we shift gears and speak to us. We got to go home, Father. We got to go home. This planet is shot. There's a storm coming. Prepare us in Jesus' name. Amen. It's one of the great storm and sailing stories in Scripture. I love it, and so do you. It's been a long and wearying day, and I tell you the truth. Jesus is dog-tired. I mean, we're talking about weary to the bone. In fact, he is so tired. Get this. It's his idea. He turns to his friends and he says, hey, guys, we got to get out of here. I am dead on my feet. Desire of ages. All day Jesus had been teaching and healing, and as evening came on, the crowd still pressed upon him. Day after day he administered to them, get this, scarcely pausing for food or rest. And now at the close of the day, found him so utterly weary that he determined to seek retirement in some solitary place across the lake. Come on, guys, let's get out of here. Open your Bible to Mark chapter 4, this beloved story. While you're finding Mark 4, this is a new series. It's called Storm. You see it there on the screen, Finding Jesus in the Gathering Dark, part one. There'll be seven parts to this. Hope you don't miss a one of them. Mark chapter 4. There's a study guide, but it's, it's only quotations today. So those of you watching, if you'd like a copy of all the quotations, you can get the study guide right there on our live stream. Watching on television, you can do the same thing. But Mark chapter 4, here comes a story. Verse Mark chapter 4, I'm in the NIV, verse 35. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And so verse 36, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat, and there were also other boats with him. And how was he? It says they took him along as he was. How was he? He's tired. That's what. In fact, no sooner did they, do they shove off from that rocky, because that's all it is, the beach in Galilee, trust me. As they shove off from that rocky beach, Jesus finds his way to the back bench near the stern. And before you can say Jack Robinson, his head is on that bench, and he's asleep. Not before one of his boys, in a, in a gesture of, of love, shoves across to him the helmsman's cushion. Sorry, Peter, you don't need it. And with a weary 
but grateful smile on his face. Jesus lays down his head in deference to their slumbering, slumbering master. The decibels fall as the men converse into the night. Placid Lake Galilee, just a little poof in the sail, and the skiff sails on. When suddenly, oh, you know this, verse 37, suddenly a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Have you ever, seriously, have you ever been in a storm in which you are absolutely convinced you're going down? Hmm? Have you ever been through one of those humdingers? I was flying with my friend Melchizedek Ponaya, who was our Sabbath school superintendent today. We were flying across India one night in a very crowded Indian air flight, so crowded that we had to carry our carry-ons on our laps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, we're crowded. At 30,000 feet, sheets of white electricity just off either wingtip. And every time the lightning explodes in thunder, that plane in a bubble of turbulence shoots up and drops down to the place. The man beside me's arm is turning white because I'm hanging on to him. Have you ever done that in a plane? But a plane suddenly, <laughs> you just grab and sneak there. I don't know what there is about it, but you just don't want to go down. I can't imagine the adrenaline fear pumping through those hardy, experienced fishermen who've done this a thousand times. They know this is different. Water is exploding into the boat. You've been to the uh, jetty at, at, during a storm in St. Joe, and you know that when water hits a stationary flat surface, it explodes. And I've seen those waves go over the lighthouse. The water is hitting this skiff from, from the gunnels, and it's just and the water's all going in. It's all going in. And I remind you, it is pitch black. Above the shrieking gale, it is pitch black. They are drenched like drowned rats, scrambling over each other, everybody desperately trying to bail with whatever hand or mechanism they can. This ship is going down, down, down. We're going down, somebody announces. Flash of lightning. And then somebody, we're not told who, somebody spots him sound asleep on the back bench. Desire of Ages, put it on the screen for you. Absorbed in their efforts to save themselves, the disciples had forgotten. Can you believe this? They had forgotten that Jesus was on board. And now, seeing their labor vain and only death before them, they remembered at whose command they had set out to cross the sea. In Jesus was their only hope. Now, there's a New Year's sermon for you, just that one line. In Jesus is our only hope. In Jesus was their only hope. In their helplessness. Now, that's a key word. You're going to run into that one again. In their helplessness and despair, they cried, Master! Master! That's, that, that is some line. They had forgotten that Jesus was on board. Hey, come on. What is, the, what is there about us earthling Christians, us earthling Adventists, that we are so prone to forget so easily that the Lord is with us? Have you noticed? Man, bailing furiously, 
to save ourselves, to save our marriage, to save our finances, to save our church, bailing furiously, and we forget he's on board. Why does it take a storm to finally get our attention? I wonder sometimes if this story isn't a penetrating morality tale about our church today. Consider this scenario. The church makes a major decision that divides the church. People seek to formulate a policy to cure the church of disagreement. But while every attempt is made, it is met by further disagreement and debate. And all the while, the very church we're so concerned about is slowly going down. When will it occur to us that there is no nifty little human devised solution to that which divides us? You can't, you can't vote a solution. When will somebody on board this struggling skiff remember Jesus and cry out to Him, Yo, Master! Calling upon God to deliver us. Calling upon God to save us. Calling upon God to mend us. Calling upon God to take charge in the fury of the storm we now enter. Desire of ages. Would somebody please call Jesus? Desire of ages on the screen again. In their helplessness, there's that word, and despair, they cried, Master, Master, but the dense darkness hid him from their sight. Their voices were drowned by the roaring of the tempest, and there was no reply. Doubt and fear assailed them. Had Jesus forsaken them? Was he who had conquered disease and demons and even death powerless to help his disciples now? Was he unmindful of them in their distress? Again they call, but there is no answer except the shrieking of the angry blast. Already their boat is sinking a moment, and apparently they will be swallowed up by the hungry waters. Apparently God doesn't always jump to, yes, sir, when we call. Apparently, like a dear and loving mother, he hears it all, of course, but he waits for our need to deepen. He waits for our prayer to deepen. He waits for our longing to deepen. Oh, don't, don't, don't make, a mis- make no mistake, please. <laughs> the moment that prayer is prayed, Lord, save me, I'm perishing, it is heard and responded to. In fact, this is Desire of Ages line, never does soul utter that cry, Lord save us, we perish, unheeded. Verse 38, Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. The Greek and for be still, by the way, is be muzzled. He has said that to demons already in the Gospel of Mark. He now speaks to nature and says, be muzzled. You ever seen the Doberman pincer? that the owners have muzzled because the dog bites everybody. Why do you have a dog like that? I just don't understand it. But anyway, so he's in them. He's got this muzzle. He says, be muzzled, storm. And boom, then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. It, it, this is like a Hollywood set, and somebody has hit the, tripped the, the, the fuse box at everything. It's gone. Placid water, clouds disappeared, twinkling stars and the canopy above, just like that. <laughs> and Jesus now, he turns to his, to his closest friends and he says to his disciples, verse 40, why, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
Do you suppose he asks us the same question on this, on this cusp of a new year? I mean, he stands with you and me, and he looks back over 2016, and, he's, and he, 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 he asks of you, he asks of me, why are you so afraid? Do you, not have, do you still have no faith? Over the holiday, I read a book by Jim Cimbala, thanks to the kindness of some friends, titled the book, Storm, Hearing Jesus for the Times We Live In. Jim Cimbala is a pastor, happens to pastor the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in New York City. Listen to him bare his soul now, his words on the screen. I have come to the sad conclusion that Christians have lost faith in God's promises concerning prayer. How else can we explain why prayer isn't paramount in our lives and in our churches? If we believed His promises, wouldn't we sometimes preach entire series about prayer? You ever seen that little emoji face that's supposed to uh, display embarrassment? It's a full teeth, full teeth smile. <laughs> were, you t were, were you talking about me? Yeah, I was talking about you. Full series on prayer? When was the last time? Paul. Wow, if we believed his promises, how else can we explain why prayer isn't paramount in our lives and in our churches? We just read. Simbla goes on, keep going. Wouldn't we make room for prayer in Sabbath services and set aside weekly times where we could together learn to call on God for his help? I mean, come on, guys, look. If we really believed in the power of prayer, collective prayer I'm talking about now, as it was demonstrated in the early church in Acts, if we really believe that, are you serious? We would make no room for prayer when we're together, nothing in the middle of the week for everyone who wishes to, to come to. Uh -huh. I think you know the answer. Keep reading. Wouldn't we make room, repeating the sentence, for prayer and Sabbath services and set aside weekly times where we could learn together to call on God for His help? We would, Symbola says, unless, ooh, we are convinced that the status quo is acceptable and we don't need help from heaven. Thank you. Wow. One more line. The key to prayer that changes things is a deep sense of inadequacy and helplessness among God's people. I mean, look, come on, you got to admit, that's a little nervy of symbol, isn't it? What are you suggesting, that we love the status quo, that we don't think prayer works? Well, he said, yeah. The key to prayer that changes things is a deep sense of inadequacy and a helplessness among God's people. Reminds me of a strikingly similar observation that Paul Miller makes in his powerful book, A Praying Life, Connecting with God in a Distracting World. In this, in this chapter, he's saying, hey, you know what? You got to admit this. Children do helplessness well. Have you noticed that about kids? Mommy, would you please help me, please? Daddy, daddy, yo, daddy, come here, come here. I need help. I need help. Daddy, daddy, daddy. Children do helplessness beautifully. But once we grow up, as Miller suggests, we become allergic to helplessness. I'm not, <laughs> I don't need help. I need another seminar. I need, I, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need a good friend who will listen to me. That's what I need. I have an idea. Hey, yo, I got a plan. Yeah, we're, we're allergic to helplessness. Miller writes, now I'll put him on the screen. However, he says, look, look, God wants us to come to Him empty-handed, no solution, 
empty-handed, weary, and heavy-laden. Instinctively, however, we want to get rid of our helplessness before we come to God, don't we? Then we can just get this all under control, then I'll come, I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll have a chat. Oh, boy. If we think we can do life on our own, boy, is he right here? We will not take prayer seriously. Now, this next line, I think, is rather prescient. Our failure to pray will always feel like something else. It's a lack of discipline or too many obligations. It's not me failing to pray. No, 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 no. You know what? The problem is I don't know how to pray. No, 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 no. The problem is I don't have enough time. Collective prayer, group prayer, psh, I don't have... Do you know how busy my life is? Do you know how important I am? Yeah, it's always an excuse. Excuses, by the way, are a dime a dozen, but let us not patronize God with them. There is not an excuse for, for non-compliance with prayer that moves him at all. Because you know the answer. You have the time. And you know how. Simbla keeps going here. No, 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 this is Simbla. Sorry, Miller keeps going here. But when something is important to us, we make room for it. Prayer is simply not important to many Christians because Jesus is already an add-on. There's something extra I purchased for the same price. That is why, oh, I wish he hadn't written this. That is why suffering is so important to the process of learning how to pray. It is God's gift to us to show us what life is really like, end quote. Come on, let's, let's, let's just admit this to each other. Nothing Nothing creates a profound, so profound a sense of helplessness as suffering. Because what is suffering? Su suffering is something I desperately long to be rid of, but I can't get rid of it. Isn't that it? Of course. But listen, why, why wait till you suffer? Why wait till we suffer? May I talk to you about America for a moment and the world? I have no idea. I have no idea where America's headed this year. And talking with you, you don't either. We have no idea where the world is headed in 2017. Not a one of us. But I do know this. Come on, think with me for a moment. I do know this, that we as a race, that we as a nation are teetering on a very precarious edge. There's no political solution. There's no economic solution to what, where we're in. I mean, are you catching this? Are you sense? Are you seeing? I mean, live on FaceTime? Live on FaceTime? You did that to, to, to who? For what reason? Guys, the beginning of 2017 is nothing like the beginning of 2016. We're not raising the bar. We're lowering the bar. It's getting worse. My job is to simply remind you of that your job is to already recognize it as you do. You don't need me saying a word up here, but that's what I do for a living. It's getting worse. Jim Cimbala. Back to Cimbala now. If we look at society today, if we look at the challenge of a country becoming more godless by the week, wow. If we look at laws being passed that mock any form of morality, 
Instead of lamenting and protesting, and I add, wringing our hands, wouldn't it be better for us to plead with God to visit his people? We need to move toward God, and it begins with two words. What are those two words? Desperate prayer. Do you know what a desperate prayer is? It's a longing for something that you cannot provide for yourself. If God does not provide it, you will not possess it. That's a desperate prayer. If God does not provide it, you will not possess it because you can't get it. That's a desperate prayer. You ever remember a woman named Hannah? Mm-hmm, Hannah? Praying desperately for, for a child for, for years, right? Nothing. And then one day, she's on the back pew of the church. No kidding. She's on the back pew of the church. And she is pleading with God. I want you to see the language that the Bible describes for her prayer. 1 Samuel 1.10 on the screen. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. She's sobbing. She's rocking. She's swaying. Her lips are moving in tandem with her soul's desperate prayer, but nothing's coming out of her lips. She's just, she's just in a state of desperation. And the pastor walks by, sees this commotion, and he, he rebukes her. He says, you are drunk, lady. Which is, no, which, is a, which is no reflection on her. It is a measure of a pastor for whom this sort of passionate, desperate praying is totally foreign. How many of us pastors, how many of us pastors have no clue what is a desperate prayer? Like Eli. We occupy positions of leadership and influence, but we have no clue what does a desperate prayer mean. We forget that when God was here himself, do you know how he prayed? Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. With loud cries and tears, he pleaded. That's called a prayer of desperation. Because the Father had what Jesus did not have. And he was begging for it. Wow. She replies to the pastor rebuking her on the screen. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. My friends, that is desperation prayer. That is a desperate prayer. And by the way, it's the kind of prayer God hears. Oh, he can't turn an ear. Have you ever been a parent? Have you ever been a parent? And have you heard your child sobbing for something? Do you turn an ear? Do you turn an ear? You do not. And in answer to that desperate prayer, God sends a radical paradigm shift, and the boy born to Hannah will forever change the course of that nation. God says, you've got to me. So what might we... What should we, this new year, be desperate for from God? A century ago, Ellen White, in her book, You Shall Receive Power, wrote these words on the screen. We are to pray for the impartation, that would be the gift of the Spirit as the remedy for sin-sick souls. Well, good night. We ought to pray because these are sin-sick souls. You're talking about the dormitories on this campus. I know that's what you mean. Oh, you might be talking about Benton Harbor. Sin-sick souls, you got them there. No, God says, read the next sentence. The church needs to be converted. And that would be you and that would be me. We need 
to be converted. And why should we not prostrate ourselves at the throne of grace as representatives of the church? I understand not everybody shows up when collective prayer takes place. Then we'll show up as representatives of the church. Why should we not prostrate ourselves at the throne of grace and from a broken heart and contrite spirit make earnest supplication that the Holy Spirit shall be poured out upon us from on high? That, my friends, is what you call a prayer of desperation. That's it right there. With broken heart, contrite soul, earnest supplication. How does Simba put it? We need to move toward God, and it begins with desperate prayer. Ellen White finishes the sentence. Let us pray that when the Holy Spirit shall be graciously bestowed, our cold hearts may be revived, and we may have discernment to understand that it is from God and receive it with joy. What would happen if this new year, together, we banded? And we say, we're going to pray for this gift. There's a storm coming, the likes of which this planet has never seen in its history. It will not be survived by the casual. It will not be survived by the nonchalant. It will not be survived by the sleeping. It will not be survived by the lethargic. It can only be survived by people who are desperately praying, God, give me what you have for this storm. What would happen if we said, dear Jesus... The gift of the Holy Spirit, please, like never before. So I open my quarterly, and I'm so delightfully surprised that we're going to be studying the Holy Spirit these next three months together. What a gift. I wonder, God must have some little timing thing going on here, because I'm looking at 2017, and I'm saying, if there's no divine intervention here, look out. Fort Lauderdale yesterday, just look out. There's insanity that now is sweeping across the land. I mean, what gift could we possibly need more than this new year? What gift does God, could God possibly want more to give us this new year than the gift of His Spirit? Jesus said, if you ask for the Spirit, you evil parents, you give good gifts to your kids. What do you think your father's going to do? You're going to get it in abundance. And with this gift, every other gift comes with. Every other gift comes with this gift. Ask for this gift, you get all the rest. It's the one supreme gift to give. And shall we not collectively, earnestly ask him this year? Let's ask him. Come on. You and me. Pull out your connect card. Let's go. Let's wrap this up. Three choices today for our my next step. You see it? My next step today, side of the card. Got some visitors here. Always glad to have you guess. We do this. Fill out the card on the front with what you think is appropriate. But go to the back. Come on. Go to the back. Three little boxes. Some of our ushers are already moving to take these cards. Don't worry about them. Just, let's just think about these uh, three boxes. Box number one, I, I want to pray the prayer of desperate helplessness this year. I want to pray that prayer. Do you want to? I do. Hey, now listen, listen, listen. You don't need a seminar for it. There is no book for desperate praying. You just do it. You just do it. Pray for 15 minutes. You have to feel helpless. There's something in your life over which you feel helpless. Don't tell me you got your life so together that there is no need in your life. There's something helpless. You ask. Ask for the Holy Spirit. I'm helpless, God. I can't, I can't get the Spirit myself. Please fill me. That's a prayer of desperation. 15 minutes. 15 minutes. You'll grow. I'll grow. Box number one. Box number two, I want to join with others in collectively, earnestly asking God for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in me and in the church. Yes. Yeah, 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 I do. It's like the book of Acts. 
It's like a laser beam. You take those strands of light and you bind them together. The more strands of light you bind into a laser beam, the more power it explodes with. It can go through walls if you get enough of those bands bound together. That's what collective praying does. The New Testament, they could have all prayed at home. They could have all prayed at home. No, they came together. They came together. Finally, box number three. I would be glad to join a Wednesday evening, 7 o'clock experience of collective prayer for the sanctuary. Uh, collective prayer, rather, for the Holy Spirit in this sanctuary. I was thinking ahead of myself. In this sanctuary, right here, starting Wednesday night. I've thought long and hard about this. I think it's unconscionable for a church like this to be sitting dark on a Wednesday night. Just unconscionable. There's no excuse for it. I don't care what strategy you got. It doesn't, it doesn't take the place of an opportunity for people who want to come together to pray to pray. We'll keep our grow groups going, but you still got to come together to pray. I'm not going to make you feel guilty about whether you come Wednesday night or not. That's up to you and God. I've learned at my age, you don't sweat the small stuff. The big stuff is that somebody's asking, and I'll be here Wednesday night. I've got to be packing Wednesday night because Thursday, early Thursday morning, I've got to go out and bury my mother. But I'll be here Wednesday night. And if you're free, I'd love to have you. If you're not here, I'll understand that there's something really huge that came up or something really huge in your life and you're never available. Come on, nurses that work 3 to 11 can never come to a 7 o'clock Wednesday evening service. I understand that. So if you're a nurse, don't come. I've learned not to make, not to try to make you feel guilty. If you want to come, we'll be here. We're not going to have a great sermon, Bible study. No, 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 no. We're going to pray. So if you're around, come and join us. I want to pray with you. Oh, God, the storm is coming. Will we just wait and wait? We hear the call of the Spirit. Come to me. Ask me. I'm on the skiff with you right now. It's dark, but you're not alone. I have brought Jesus to you. Take hope. And so, Father, our hearts long. We, we, we got to get home. We just got to get home. So take this longing. Harness it and shape it. And well up within us a collective cry for the Holy Spirit this new year. It's your gift, but it's our prayers. Receive them now. Amen.